discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boatim as Christ is magnified in you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to welcome you to our Sunday morning service. I'm glad you joined us online wherever you are. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I know we are going to have a very wonderful time this morning. Because I'm going to start a series of messages that I believe will help you think right. Hallelujah. So this morning I'm sharing concerning um, three reasons to expect. Three reasons why we need to expect the Lord's coming. Three reasons why. We need to expect the Lord's coming. Whether you like it or not, Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. And there's nothing you can do about it. When some people hear it, they, they become startled and scared. When others also hear it, they become excited and full of joy. Now, which group do you belong to? <laughs> This morning, I want to help you be part of the group that becomes very excited when they hear about the Lord's coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is why I'm talking to you this morning. So I'm going to share a number of messages, like I said, about um, four or five of them, probably even six, depending on how well we're able to go. You know, and uh, I want us to start with Revelation chapter 22 from verse 12. Revelation 22 verse 12. This is Jesus talking. He says, and behold, I come quickly. Wow. I come quickly and my reward is with me. To give every man according as his work shall be. And behold, I come quickly. Not slowly. I come quickly. Some, some are wondering, how come Jesus said he's coming quickly and has not come all these years? It's almost 2,000 years since Jesus said this. You know? And yes, still, he has not come. Wow. Did he mean it or he was joking? He meant every single word. And behold, I come quickly. You know, the word quickly there is from the Greek takus, and it means I come without delay. I come without delay. So he, he really meant what he was saying. So how come it's taking almost 2,000 years, and yet still, he has not come? If you read in First Peter chapter chapter two, you will see something very very remarkable. Second Peter two rather from verse uh, from verse one. Second Peter three from verse one. Sorry, Second Peter three one. It says this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Next verse, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. 
Then he says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking in their own lusts. Next verse. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Have you ever heard this before? People ask questions. Someone said that if Jesus was coming on a wheelbarrow, if the angel, angel Michael was pushing him in a wheelbarrow, he would have gotten here by now. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? He calls them scoffers. Don't join that group. Okay, don't join that group. Don't become a Christian who is into talking all kinds of things and seeing all kinds of things that are not scriptural. He says, and they'll be saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Wow. Then he says, for this day willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed, overflowed with water perished. There was a world that was before um, Adam was even created. And that's the word he's referring to. Next verse. Then he says, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Wow. So he, he wants you to know that surely, of a surety, what God said, what Jesus said concerning his coming, he meant it. And that you shouldn't think that he's, he's not going to come. Okay, we're going to continue reading, but then I want to show you some few things before we come back to this place, this particular place. You know, so when Jesus was talking, he was talking with, with eternity in mind. He had, you know, God is an eternal being. And God, God is the creator of time. God is the author of time. God is self-existent. Okay, God is self-sustaining. God is self-everything. He's the eternal selfhood. He does not dwell in eternity. Eternity rather dwells in him. He created the beginning. So in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, that particular phrase, uh, in the beginning, there is not, it's actually there. It's actually beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. That's how the, the Hebrew mentions it. Meaning that God is, God predated the beginning. God does not have a past. If we talk about time, we talk about past, present, and future. Do you see? But God does not dwell in time. God is the creator of time. So to him, there's no past, there's no future, there's no present. Everything is present. For him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he created the beginning. Okay? He's the, he's the God of time. And when Jesus came on earth, the first miracle he did was to prove that he's Lord over time. So in John chapter 2, from verse 1 all the way to verse 11, if you read for yourself, you'll see it. He did his very first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. John 2, uh, John 2 verse 1, it says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and the disciples to their marriage. Now, if you read on, you note, you note, you notice that the, the wine that was being served at the, at the wedding got finished. You know, and Jesus' mother told the people that whatever he tells you to do, that do. And Jesus said that, woman, what have I got to do with you? So my time is not yet come. It's not time for me to start doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, but then Jesus complied anyways and told them to do some things. If you go down, you see it. Go to verse 6. It says, And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of, of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three fecans apiece. Verse 7. 
Jesus says unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning that set forth good wine, and when men have well drank, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Wow! Next verse. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. He did this to manifest forth his glory. What glory was he talking about? His glory over time. His lordship over time. Now, on a normal day, it takes about nine years to, to manufacture wine. Okay? Nine or more years. Now, the Bible says that it was the best wine. When the, 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 the chairman of the, 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 the reception tasted the wine, he said that this wine is nicer than the one, the one that we tasted earlier. You see, because it had, become, it had turned into wine. The water had turned into wine. And if the, the older the wine, the, the nicer it is, actually. Within a moment of time, Jesus told them, fill the water pots. And he told them, take some and bear it to the Lord of the, of the, of the, of the occasion. Within a moment of time, what should have normally taken nine years or more to do happened within seconds to show that he's Lord over time. Do you see? So, Jesus is God. And when he said, when he says, I am coming quickly, he knows what he's talking about. Don't say that, ah, it's taking so long. How come he's not? He says, behold, I come quickly. And he is coming quickly. I tell you. Look at Psalm 90. <laughs> Psalm 90 from verse 2 to verse 4. Psalm 90. Wow. wow. You love the Bible. Yeah. It says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art what? God. Next verse, verse 3. Thou turnest man to destruction, and seest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. He says a thousand years is like a watch in the night for God. It is like yesterday. Jesus is God, right? A thousand years is like a day to him. A thousand years is like a watch. Now, in in Hebrew um, timing, a watch is actually three hours. So 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. is the first watch. 9 a.m. to 12 uh, uh, p.m. is a second watch. 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. is a third watch. Then it continues like that. He says, 1,000 years in God's sight are but as yesterday when it is past. And as a watch in the night. So as far as Jesus is concerned, all that has happened since he left, it has now taken maybe six hours. Yeah. Because if it's, it says, it is but a watch in the night. That's just three hours. And it's 2,000 years. So 1,000 is what? Three hours. And the other 1,000 is also another three hours. <laughs> if you go by the first count, it says, For a thousand years is in thy sight, uh, a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past. Let's say it's the whole day. Because if you're reading, go back to Second uh, Peter, what we're reading. 
from verse 3. I think we stopped at verse 7, isn't it? Let's continue from verse 7. Since by the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So 1,000 years is like one day to the Lord. Wow. Wow. So as far as he's concerned, it's just been two days. It's either six, six hours to two days. It's not been long at all. So when he says, I come quickly, he, he knows what he's talking about. So don't think that he's lack concerning his commandment. Like, oh, how come he's so slow? How come what's going on? We have been waiting for a long time. We don't know if he's coming. One week has not even come. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the next verse, verse 9. You see, and he's delaying his coming because of something. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Verse 9, 2 Peter 3 9. As some men count slackness, some people think that he's, he's slacking, he's being slow. Let's read, let's read the Amplified. I think it will help us define the word slackness. The Lord does not delay and is not tardy or slow about what he promises, he's not slow at all according to some people's conception of slowness. But he is long-suffering, extraordinarily patient toward you, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should, should, should turn to repentance. So he wants all to turn to repentance before he comes. So don't think that it's like he's being slow. They say Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. When is he coming? Is he coming today? Is he coming tomorrow? Is coronavirus a sign that he has come and he has blessed? Some people think that Jesus has already come. Brother, Relax. Tell anybody, relax. relax. If you are there alone, tell yourself, relax. <laughs> okay? So, he is not slack concerning his covenant at all, concerning his promise. He's delaying his coming, if there's anything like that, because he wants many people to repent. I don't know if you saw, it, you saw what I shared with you, what I, what I read to you. Go back to the King James, Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us, what? Wow. Not willing that any should perish, but that all, all means all. All means what? All. But that all should come to repentance. All should, should come to repentance. So that's why he's not, he's, not, he's not yet showed up. Because a thousand years is like a day for him. It's but a watch in the night. He's the Lord over time. He created the beginning. There was no beginning before him. He is the one who created. He started the beginning. He started time. He's the owner of time. So he knows exactly what he's talking about. Hallelujah. So I said we are sharing, I'm sharing concerning three reasons to why you need to expect the Lord's coming. Isn't it? When some people hear that the Lord is coming, fear. They become afraid. Will I be raptured? Will I not be raptured? Will I make it? Will I not make it? Will I go to heaven or will I go to hell? I want to marry before. <laughs> it was one of my prayers as well. You know, before I got married, I was always praying that, Lord, don't come until I've, when I, when I'm married and I have tasted of the forbidden fruit, then you can come. I think it was a prayer a lot of us prayed. Okay, you are now praying it now. Those of you who are not married. Powerful. <laughs> Hallelujah. So as a child of God, you should not be afraid of the Lord's coming. Do you see? Because when you become born again, you become a member of the body of Christ. Okay? 
we are we are born again if you read in first corinthians chapter 12 from verse 12 to verse 13 let's read it first corinthians 12 12 to 13 for as the body is one and has many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be jews or gentiles whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit you see, we are, we are now members of the body of Christ. I showed you this some weeks ago. We are now members of the body of Christ. If you read verse 27 of the same book, same chapter, you see it. It says, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. We are members of the body of Christ by virtue of our new birth, by virtue of the Holy Spirit acting on our spirits to recreate our spirits. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed, I behold, all things have become new. We are new creations. We are now members of the body of Christ. Do you see? We are members of the church, which is the body of Christ. The last time I showed you some scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1 as well, um, from verse 19, if you remember, Ephesians 1, 19. Then it says, And what's, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, world who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come. Then he says, And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Then he says, Which is his body? The church is his body. Unless you don't believe that you are not part of the church, unless you don't believe that you are not you are you are you are, you are not you are part, unless you believe you are not part of the church, unless you believe you are you are you are not part of the body of Christ then you or probably are not born again. That's why you are afraid. But if you are born again, you should not be afraid. You should not be afraid. Because we start off, when, when, when we, we are born again, we start off at his right hand, seated in heavenly places together with him. Isn't it? We are with him. Paul said, whether we die or we are alive, we are always with him. Hallelujah. So his coming should not threaten you. I don't know why people are afraid. Christians are afraid. So many Christians are afraid. Asking them, will I go? Will I not go? Will I go? Why are you asking such questions? What if you feel you are not living right? Why don't you just live right for him? <laughs> How difficult is that? Hallelujah. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read from verse 25. Ephesians 5, 25. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Eh? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Next verse. So the church is not just his body. The church is also his bride. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself. Isn't it? He gave himself for it. He gave himself for it. So he's saying to husbands to love their wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Meaning that Christ is the bride, is the husband of the church. And the church is the bride or the wife of the, of the Lord. Is that too difficult to understand? He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Continue. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Next verse. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Verse 29. 
follow me very carefully. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. So the Lord is specializing in, he's a specialist in nourishing the church, in cherishing the church, in caring for the church. Read the Amplified, you see verse 29, Amplified. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and carefully protects and cherishes it as Christ does the church. This is what Christ is doing right now. He's nourishing the church. You and I, are you the church? Am I the church? He says Christ's work in our lives is to nourish and carefully protect and cherish us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 30, King James. For we are members of his, why is he nourishing us? caring for us and cherishing us because we are member, members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. We are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. Next verse. Verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the church is the bride and the wife of the Lord. How many of you married men here? Pastor Kobe is here. You are married. Pastor Eugene here is here. You are also married. Who else is married here? Everybody here is Ademusa. Thank God. I see you marrying soon in Jesus. <laughs> Pastor Free is here. You'll be marrying soon. COVID 19 will not postpone your wedding. <laughs> wow. Were you afraid when you were going to get married? Were you afraid? Excited. When you were going to ma- when you when you thought about your wedding day, were you scared? Were you were you living in terror? Like <laughs> were you trying to postpone the wedding? <laughs> you were in a hurry to get married, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Why would you would you not be in a hurry to marry? Yes. Will you are you in a hurry to marry? Yes. <laughs> Why are you in a hurry to marry? You, you are excited to meet your, your, your beloved, isn't it? So why is it that when you hear that Jesus is coming, uh, then something is doing you? You are afraid. It doesn't make any sense. It means that you don't believe that you are actually part of the body of Christ. And you don't believe that you are a bride. You are his bride. Look at it. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Go to verse, go to verse 30 once again. It's nice. Ephesians 5.30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. A man shall leave his mother and his father. No matter how good your mother and your father are. You just leave them. Why? Because there's a bride. There's somebody. There's somebody, like someone said, somewhere, there's somebody who loves me. Wow. wow. Listen, Jesus is crazy about the church. He's crazy about you and I. And he's not coming to come and take some and leave some. Preach it. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. Next verse. Then says, this particular thing I'm talking about is a great mystery. But actually, I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. Next verse. Verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we are members of his body. Always remember that. Always remember that. Always look into the future. Look into prophecy with what's with the with the backdrop of what has been revealed already. This is what has been revealed to us. This is what we know. 
from the scriptures. Do you see? So why should we why should we expect? Do we need to expect his coming? Why? Number one reason. Okay, is because the Lord's coming is prophesied of in the scriptures. The Lord's second coming. The reason why you expect his coming is that his second coming is prophesied of in the scriptures. More than his first advent. More than his. So no matter what you do, he is coming. That's what coming there. He says, behold, I come quickly. I come quickly. <laughs> I come quickly. And if you compare the scriptures that have to do with his first advent, that is his incarnation. In John 1, 1, for instance, he says, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. Okay? Then he says, he was with God in the beginning. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Then he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Okay? Then he says, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. If you jump to verse 14, verse 14 says that, and the word became flesh. And dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's talking about the first advent of Christ, the first coming of Christ. Do you see this is one of the, the, the words that is the scriptures that has to do with that particular uh, advent, the first advent of Christ, which is the incarnation. Now, the scriptures concerning the, the incarnation cannot be compared to the scriptures that concern his second coming. In the Old Testament, there are more than 8,000 scriptures that refer to his second coming. More than 8,000. In the New Testament, there are more than 300 scriptures that refer to his second coming. Out of the books of the New Testament, about 21 have reference to his coming, his second coming. Everybody talks about it. So you cannot run away from it. Scripture prophesies. There are too many things in the, in the word of God that has reference to his second advent. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that is one of the major reasons why you should respect. Because God's word, God cannot lie. The Bible says that God cannot lie. The scriptures cannot be broken. Jesus said, all things shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So the scriptures cannot be broken. No matter what you do, no matter who, who, what's, what, who says, he's coming. Why? Because the scripture says that he's coming. The ratio is eight to one. Eight times in the Bible you would see. If there's a ratio, if we're comparing, if you find one scripture concerning his first incarnation, you find eight scriptures concerning his second advent. Wow. So, brother, don't think that his lack concerning his coming at all. Know that he's coming because the scriptures prophesy. Okay? Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 16. He says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. This is Peter writing. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When it, it says, when it comes to the, the, the subject of the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Which majesty is he talking about? He's talking about what happened. He says, I was an, I was an eyewitness of his majesty on a certain day. In Matthew chapter 17... From verse 1, the Bible says that. Go, go to Matthew 17 from verse 1. 
I like to use the scriptures to see everything. He says, and after six days, Jesus said, get Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bring them up into a high mountain apart. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as a sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. So this is what Peter is talking about. This is the, the, the eyewitnessing thing that he's talking about, the experience he had. Jesus took them into a, into, a, into a mountain apart and was transfigured. His glory, his actual glory showed. What his body has been, had been covering all this while was uncovered briefly for them to see his glory, his real glory. And they were amazed. So Peter says that when it comes to the coming of the Lord and the power that is related to his coming, we have not followed canonly devised fables. But first of all, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. Verse 17. 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Next verse. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We heard it when we were with him in that holy mountain in Matthew chapter 17. Then he says, even though we saw this with the Lord, with his majesty and all of that. So even though he saw, Peter says that even though I saw all these glorious things with the Lord, I saw his glory. I saw him changing. There's something that is a more sure word concerning his coming. More than what we saw. <laughs> Look at Genesis verse 18. He says, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. He says that when it comes to the second coming of the Lord, the prophecy in the scriptures are plenty. They are more, and they are more sure word of prophecy. They are more sure than even what we saw. What the scriptures say concerning the second coming is more sure. It is more uh, uh, worthy to be trusted than what I saw with my eyes. Because if I tell you, you will not believe it. But when the scriptures tell you, there's a more reliable testament. There's a more reliable information and witness. The scriptures written over many years with many individuals. Talking about the same thing, even though they never met. Wow. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Wow. What a shock. So he's coming. And there are so many scriptures. So many scriptures. I'm, I'm going to try. Like I said, there are 8,000 in the old and 300 in the new. Over the period, I'll try and quote as many as I can. Even if we're able to do a hundred, I think it's good, isn't it? We'll try our best. You know, the problem with uh, most children of God is that whenever they hear the second coming, they mix the two aspects of the second coming of Christ. There are two prophecies, two sets of prophecies, or two sets of scriptures concerning his second advent, the second coming of Christ. One set is with reference to the children of God. And another set is with reference to the world. Okay, so there are two aspects of the coming, second coming of Christ. The first aspect is called the private coming of Christ, the private second coming of Christ. 
The last revelation Jesus showed himself, showed of himself in the New Testament is written in Revelation chapter 22. Jesus showed himself as the morning star. In Revelation chapter 22 verse 16, look at what Jesus said. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He said, I am the bright and morning star. This is his revelation, his last revelation to the church. Do you see? He calls himself the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star is actually Venus, the planet Venus. And every morning, it shows up in the sky. It shows up at dawn, between 4 and 5 a.m. 4, 5, 5.30. If you wake up at 7, you will not see it. It comes very early and goes away before the day starts. Jesus showed himself as a bright and morning star. That's the last revelation he shows to the body of Christ, to the church. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. These things were in the churches. Then he says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The morning star shows up very early, like I said, very early in the morning. Now, in Malachi chapter 4, from verse 1 to verse 3, the last revelation that is shown concerning God or concerning the Son of God with respect to the Jews is as the Son of Righteousness. Okay? So, it says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Next verse. But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his, in his wings, and he shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Verse 3. And he shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, these are two references to two different things altogether. Like I said, the morning star, the bright and shining morning star, is to the church. And he shows himself as a son to the Jews. This is to the Jews. Okay? So, for the church, he comes very early. And nobody sees him. He comes very early to take his own. That is the first coming, the first aspect of the second coming of Christ, which is for his own church, for his own bride. And I'm going to show you so many scriptures that concern that. Then the second aspect, the sun shows up during the day and everybody sees the sun. Is it true? But if you don't wake up early, you will not see the, the morning star. But the sun is for everybody to see. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so the first part is different. There, there are two aspects, like I said. Okay, One is for his church. He comes into the skies. He does not touch his, the soles of his feet does not touch the earth. He shows up in the skies and he takes his children away. He takes the church, which is his bride, away. And the second one, that's the second aspect of the second coming is for him to come to come and save the Jews as a son of righteousness. That saves the Jews. He comes as a son for everybody to see him. So in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, one of the scriptures for the second aspect, I'm going to try and show you two, uh, the two aspects proper, proper. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Just like every, just as every eye sees the sun. He says, every eye, behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's look at some scriptures under the first aspect, 
which is privately for his bride as the morning star. Do you get it? Okay. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. I'm showing you some of the scriptures. that are, still, All that I'm saying is still under the number one reason why we need to expect his coming. Because he's coming, he's coming for you and I. We should expect his coming. He's coming for you and I because the scriptures have said so many things about the fact that he's coming. He's coming for us. They look, like I said, a lot of Christians mix the two up. So a lot of Christians think that something will happen and we will die and some things will go on and whatever. So many things. But I want to, I've intentionally started from this aspect just to help you journey through the scriptures gradually so that you can understand what the Bible says. Okay? Okay, so First Thessalonians chapter, chapter 4 from verse 14 to verse 18. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, this is a very, this is a very significant scripture. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Yeah. Like I said, if you don't believe this particular thing, you are not born again. If you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you are not born again. Keep your finger here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We were discussing this in some time ago. I think it would be good if I mention it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's read from verse 11. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Next verse. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Next verse, verse 15. Yea, and we have found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Verse 16, then he says, if the dead rise not, then is Christ, then is not Christ raised. Verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. So it's a major aspect of what we believe. We believe in his resurrection. Are you saying it? So without that, we are still in our sins. Because in Romans chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible says that Christ was delivered on account of our offenses and was raised on account of our justification. It is our justification that brought his resurrection is the, the, the attestation and the proof that we have been forgiven of our sins and that we have been made the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you have to believe in that. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 says that, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we believe that, then it says, even so them also which sleep, or those who, the concept of sleep has three, has three references in scripture. One is with respect to uh, uh, natural death, a uh, natural sleep, normal natural sleep. The other one is with, is with reference to uh, uh, backsliding. Okay? When someone backslides, it's referred to as sleep. If you read in the same place where we are reading, First Thessalonians chapter 5, you see it. It says, let us not sleep as do the others. Then the last reference is with death, physical death. And this particular scripture has reference to physical death. Do you see? So it says that, if, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? God will bring them with him. <laughs> I'm going to say something about the scriptures in the next, in the next session. Very powerful, very important scripture. It says, he will come, he will bring with him. He will bring them with him. All those who are dead in Christ, he will bring them with him. Where will he bring them? Next verse, verse 15. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Which coming of the Lord is this? This is the first aspect of the second coming of God, of Christ, which is the coming for his own as the bright and morning star, which is also referred to as a rapture. The rapture is him coming for his church. He coming for his bride. Are you the bride of Christ? Okay, then he's coming for you. So why are you afraid? Ask your neighbor, why are you afraid? What is wrong with you? You shouldn't be afraid. He says, for this we say unto you that the, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, those of us who are alive and remain and are here, unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep or which are dead. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of, our, of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Did he say some of the dead in Christ shall rise first? He says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Take notice of that. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Next verse. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. To meet the Lord where? In the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So in this particular coming, he does not touch the the, the, the earth. His feet does not touch Mount Olives. He comes into the clouds. Then the trumpet blows. And when he comes to the clouds, he will come with all the saints who have died. All the saints of old who have died. He will come with them. The resurrection is actually the salvation of our body. I'll talk about that one. So they will all come for their body here on earth. Because everybody died here on earth. And their body is left here. It can be a part of a building. Some has become sun somewhere. All Jesus needs is just a small particle of it. He will recreate their body, the new body for them, and then they shall meet their body. And then those of us who are here shall be changed. So in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 15. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you like what I'm sharing with you? Yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's read from verse, uh, from verse 51. He says, behold, I show you a mystery. This is a mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. And he says, we shall not all sleep or we shall not all die. But we shall all be changed. Did he say some? He says, we shall all be changed. Next verse. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, which trump? The same trumpet that he spoke about in First Thessalonians chapter 4. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible. And we shall be changed. Everybody, we shall be changed. Next verse, verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, great, where is thy victory? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that day he shall show up in the skies. And we shall be caught up with him. He shows up as a bright morning star that comes at dawn and disappears before the day starts. Hallelujah. So this is what is in reference to you. And I don't know why you don't want would you would don't you want to enjoy this particular oh, oh, oh. or you don't like it? Hmm. Hallelujah. Let me show you some, some more. Hmm. So this is basically the first aspect. That is for his children, okay? For his church, for his bride. 
Then the second aspect is publicly. The public coming, the public second coming of Christ. The first one is not everybody who sees him. It's only those who are born again who see him. The second one, every eye. And I showed you a scripture, Revelation 1, 7, right? It says, behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye, not some eye, it says, every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. Who pierced him? Jews and Gentiles. All those who pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. Then in Zechariah chapter 14, from verse 1 to verse 5, we see another one there. So many scriptures. Like I said, it's age to one. The scriptures concerning his second coming is age to one. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and, the, and thy spell shall be divided in, in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. Next verse. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. So that day his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof. It shall split into two, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. I tell you, and he shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, he shall flee like as, as he fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Have you seen it? The Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, during the, during the second aspect of his coming, the second coming of Christ, is with his saints, with you and I. You see, he comes with you and I to come and come and judge the earth. The reason for his coming is to judge the earth. Are you in the church? So let's look at Jude chapter 1, verse 14. More scriptures that show this particular aspect. Even even the one we read in in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, where it says that, Behold, he cometh with clouds. That word clouds there is with reference to people. You see, it's the same word, it's the same that is written in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, verse 1. Okay, look at Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed above with so great a cloud of witnesses. He calls the, the cloud a cloud of witness. Okay, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience that race that is set before us. The same, a similar thing is written in, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 9 and 10. Let's read it. Acts chapter 1. For verse 8 says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and it shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, this is Jesus talking, when he had finished talking, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So a cloud received Jesus out of their sight. What cloud was it? Next verse. Let me show you the next verse. Verse 10. It says, and while they looked steadfast, the disciples were looking steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Two angels stood by them, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. 
he shall come in the same manner. How did he go? With a cloud. What cloud was it? It was a cloud of people. Because in Matthew chapter 27 from verse 50, we see how when Jesus died. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 27 from verse 50. When Jesus died, the Bible says that the graves were open. Matthew 27, 50, 5, 0. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept or which were dead arose. And came out of the graves after his resurrection. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Can you imagine? All the bodies of the dead saints rose again from the dead when Jesus came out of the graves. So when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he did not resurrect alone. He came out with Joseph. He came out with David. He came out with all those saints who had died. All the Old Testament, Abraham, he came up with all of them. And the Bible says that they went to show themselves to people in Jerusalem. Yet there are a lot of people who, didn't, who still don't believe. So you can imagine. And this, no, but none of them could enter heaven until Jesus had taken them. So on the day when Jesus was ascending, there was a sight to behold. The disciples did not just see Jesus going. They saw a cloud of people that were going with the Lord. And then you said that, listen, the same manner you have seen him go, the same man is going to come. So Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. I test you that fact. Let me show you. Revelation chapter 19. Let's read from verse 11 to verse 21. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. Who is that? That's Jesus, right? Next verse. Then it says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine lining, white and clean. Who are the armies which are in heaven? It's not talking about the angels. Because if you go up to verse 7, you see that it has reference to Christians, saints, who were taken during the first coming of the second, the first aspect of the second coming. Okay, look at this. It says, let us be glad and rejoice. Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife. Who is his wife? The church. It says his wife has made herself ready. Next verse, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine lining, clean and white. For the fine lining is the righteousness of saints. The righteousness of saints. Have you seen it? Yeah. So who are those who are wearing fine lining, clean and white? It's the saints, right? It's the wife of the, of the Lord. Is it true or you are not seeing it? So go down to where we're reading earlier. Chapter 19, verse 14 says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine lining, white and clean. That's how he comes. The second aspect of the second coming of of Christ, he comes not alone with a cloud. Which cloud? A cloud of witnesses. Which witnesses? A cloud of church. The church is bright. Who that form the army in heaven will come with him. For what purpose? To execute judgment. So if you go on, you see that they come and execute judgment upon the nations of the earth. Next verse. Verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it it, shall, it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treaded the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. I'll explain some of these things some more to you as we go on. Okay? So this is a second aspect of the second coming of the Lord, which is as the son of righteousness and as 
uh, with the cloud of witness that comes to come and come and judge the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It has nothing to do with you and I. If you mix it with ours, you would think that Christ is coming to destroy us. Nobody comes to destroy his, his bride that is coming to marry. He is coming for his bride to marry his bride. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then in Jude chapter 1, verse 14. Jude 1, 14. It says, And Enoch also, the servant from Adam. This was seen by Enoch. And Enoch also, the servant from Adam, prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Have you seen it? He comes with ten thousands. During that time, they only knew thousands. So even, he saw billions, but he just said ten thousands. Ten, you see, he didn't say ten thousand. He said ten thousands of his saints. Ten thousand. If ten thousand times ten thousand is that much, do the calculation for yourself. That's, the accidents are worried. Yeah. The Lord cometh to ten thousands of his saints. Next verse, verse fifteen. To execute judgment, he cometh for what? To execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is the only scripture in the whole Bible that has so many references to the word ungodly in one scripture. So many references. So he comes to come and judge the ungodly world. Not Christians, not his children, not his wife. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So the fear comes when you mix it. Oh, am I going to go through the great tribulation? I'll talk about those things. Am I going to have this? What's going to happen? Am I going to go? Am I going to calm down? Are Are you part of the church? Then the general revelation that we have in the scriptures is that he's coming for you and he's coming for all of us. He's coming for all of us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I think you should expect his coming, isn't it? Because of these prophetic words that have been spoken. It's an exciting thing to look up to. Not something to be worried about. Not something to be afraid of. He's coming as a bright and morning star that is coming for you and I. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The second reason why we should expect his coming is that our expectation of his coming is the proof of our love for him. We should expect his coming because it is a proof of our love for him. Considering all that I've said concerning the first aspect, which is for you and I, you should be excited, like I said. And your desire for him to come is a proof, is the litmus test, is the acid test of your love for him. Have you ever fallen in love before? <laughs> or if, if you've been married and your wife is somewhere, you're also somewhere, your wife is somewhere for like six months or one year, and you've been talking on the phone, you've been talk, communicating on the phone all this while, baby, how are you? I'm fine. At a point, you realize that even the communication, Charlie, it's not going as you want it to go because you need more than communication at a distance. You, you begin to long for a belonging. You want, to, you want to have physical interaction with the person. You want to see him face to face. You want to touch the lady, the, the, your wife. You want to touch your husband. Hey! I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. If you're not married, you don't understand what I'm saying. But if you have a beloved, you realize that if, if your beloved is somewhere, you're also somewhere. Hey! It's not easy. When your beloved says he's, he's coming, hey! You become very excited. That your expectation of his coming. He may say that, oh, I'm coming in six months. In six months' time, you can start counting. Why? Because you are in love. The fact that the church is not excited when we say that Jesus is coming soon is a sign that the church is out of love with their beloved groom. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's a test. It's a te- we should expect his coming because it's a proof of our love for him. It's a proof. 
It's a proof that we love him. If you love him, you expect him. If you love him, you will live in high expectation. You'll be counting the days. You'll be wondering when he's coming. You wonder, when are you, when are you coming? I want to see you. Because you grow tired of long distance. Yeah. With time. We grow tired. And you can't wait to see him. You know, the church in every generation is required by God to live in great expectation of the coming of the Lord. Yeah. And this, this was a secret of the church of old. They lived in great expectation. Because we're in love with the Lord. But I'd be in love with the Lord. Let me show you some scriptures. Hmm. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. First Corinthians 16, 22. This, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha. <laughs> if any man love not the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. The word anathema is Aramaic for cursed. Let him be a cursed. So the Amplified shows it to us. It says, if anyone does not love the Lord, does not have a friendly affection for him, and is not kindly disposed toward him, he shall be a cursed. Our Lord will come. Maranatha. The word Maranatha is our Lord cometh. He comes. He comes. Can you imagine that this was the greeting of the old, the church of, of old? This is how they, they used to greet. During those times, the church had been infiltrated with a lot of uh, um, false brethren. You know, and some of them, some of these false brethren were, were spies to spy out their, their liberty and report to Nero and all these other people. You know, they were arresting Christians and burning them at the stake. So for, for if, if you meet somebody and you want to know if the person is a real Christian, when you pass by, you are passing by the person, you just say, Maranatha. If the person gets the interpretation for you, then it means that the person is a real Christian. He's, he's really born again. And they'll say, Maranatha. Then they respond, he comes. The Lord comes. That was their greeting. That was how they used to greet each other. And I think we should greet each other like that. Because they had it in their mind. In their mind, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. They had great expectation of his coming. Why? Because we were in love with him. They couldn't wait to see him. They couldn't wait to, to, to hold him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So... Our expectation of his coming is a proof of our love for him. Let me show you some more scriptures. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. We are his bride, right? Yeah. And he's a groom. Isn't it? It's a love affair. It's a love affair. If you're in love, you can't wait to see your love. If you're in love, you can't wait to see the love of your life with whom you've been communicating with the, at a distance. I tell you. Yeah. First Corinthians 2 9. It says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Have you seen it? This Paul quoting Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. Remember, he said, But as it is written. So where, where was it? Where is it written? It's Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. Let's look at Isaiah 64, 4. It says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither have the, has the eye seen, O oh God, beside thee, what he has prepared for him that waited for him. The only difference between the two scriptures is waited for him and love. On the other side, in First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of any man. The things God has prepared for them that love him. The other side says, Them that wait for him. So love is synonymous 
is equal to waiting for the Lord. If you love him, you will wait for him. If you love him, tell anybody if you love him, you will wait for him. And you wait for him with expectation. Serious expectation. Serious expectation. Hallelujah. Serious expectation. You see. So, brothers and sisters, there's a special reward for those that love his appearing. If you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, you see it there. Those who wait for him. If you love him, you wait for him. If you love him, you live in expectation of his coming. Let's read from verse 7 so that we understand even some more. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Then he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at the day, at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You love his appearing. It says, All those who love his appearing, all those who love his coming, who wait in expectation of his coming. Who, when they hear that he is coming, become excited. And don't say things like, hey, he should not come. I'm not ready. I haven't married yet. You are afraid. I'm doing something wrong. Maybe he will not take me. Maybe he will not come for me. He says, forget about all of that. All those who love him, who love his appearing, shall have a reward. Hallelujah. There are so many scriptures that are along this line. First Thessalonians chapter, chapter 1. First Thessalonians 1, 9. Do you like my message? I'm trying to make it as simple as possible for everybody. So that you don't become afraid. You don't become, we don't grow a church that is afraid. The Bible says fear causes torment. Fear cannot be used to do anything good. The fear that we have for God is not the same as the fear that the devil produces. It's not the same. One is reverential fear. It's respect. It's honor. It's out of love, actually. Do you see? He says, for uh, they themselves show of us what entering in we had unto you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Then he says, and to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. Which delivered us from the wrath to come. Which what? Delivered us from the wrath to come. What is the wrath to come? The wrath to come is the judgment of the world which happens at his second coming wow. and before his second the second aspect of his second coming wow. you see it says and to wait we are to wait for the son for, for his son for, for god's son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even jesus you love jesus yeah. are you waiting for his coming yeah. from hence so maybe you've not you've been living in in fear of uh, his second coming stop that it's not right Start, start living in excitement. Start living in joy. Waiting for him and expecting him to come. Hallelujah. First Corinthians 13, 12. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. So many beautiful scriptures. Wow. It says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then on that day when we see him, we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. He is coming so that we see him face to face. Do you prefer phone love or you prefer face to face love? Do you prefer Skype kissing or Facebook or, or uh, uh, whatever or Zoom kissing? Or you prefer physical? Look at us. Even social, social distancing right now is not even helping us. Like you see, you see somebody, you can't hug the person. You just have to do this. It's so painful. 
Yeah, they are, they are, they are, their families are practicing serious social, social distancing in their homes. Yeah, yeah people say, they are, Charlie, some people are not joking at all. Sit, your, sit at your corner, also sit at my corner. Yeah. I'm wondering if husbands and wives are practicing that. Hey. It will not be easy in the house. <laughs> we are social beings, and you want to, you'd want to have interaction with the one you love. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The one I love is ever before me. It seals upon my heart. I live for the one I love. If you live for him and expect him, he says that he has a word for you. Wow. This is the desire of the spirit. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. is the desire of the spirit. It's the desire of God. Revelation 22, 17. He says that, And the spirit and the bride say, Come. They say to who? They say to the Lord Jesus, Come. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hear us say, come. And let him that is attest, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. This is the desire of the spirit. Lord, come. As for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit desires that Jesus will come. That's the desire of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a day coming. There's a prophetic word for the church. There's a day coming when a group, when the church will grow to the point that it will say the same thing as the, as the Holy Spirit says. With, a, with reference to the coming of the Lord, they will both say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Not the Holy Spirit saying, come, Lord Jesus, and the church is saying something else. It's this, the Spirit and the bride say, unto the Lord Jesus, come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right now, you have, you know, if you read in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, you have so many references to the, to the church being separated from the, the, the Spirit in terms of, its, of desire. So you have the Spirit saying to the church, let me show you. Revelation chapter 2. There are so many references. When he was writing to the churches, the seven churches of, of Asia Minor, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Ephesus, uh, uh, Sardis, all those people, Laodicea, all of those, Philadelphia, all those churches. In every single church, he said that the Spirit said to the, to the churches. Let the church hear what the Spirit says to, the, 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 uh, the Spirit says to it. Okay, let's look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. I want to show you some. Revelation 2, 7 says, He that hears, has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. Have you said it? To him that overcometh like you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Then in verse 11, you see something similar. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Then verse 17. Revelation 2, 17. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. So in all these uh, uh, verses and in all these churches, the Spirit is saying something to the church. But there's a day coming. I said there's a day coming. When the Spirit and the church will have one voice. They will have one voice and they will say once, once, one, one thing. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the desire of the Lord. That's the desire of God. So the more you grow in the Lord, the more you desire His coming. If you are not desiring His coming, it's a sign that you are not growing. You are not growing in love because our growth, the, the litmus test of our growth is our love for him and our love for those that belong to him. The more you grow, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you love his church, the more you love the brethren. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Do you like my message? Yeah. yeah. So this is the second reason why we should expect his coming. Okay? Because... The expectation of his coming is a proof of our love for him. If you love him, you expect him. You'd want to see him. You'd want to feel him. Paul said, I prefer to leave this body because leaving this body means that I'll be with him. 
Which is more preferred than staying here on earth? You see, the question is not coronavirus killing people. The question is, are those people born again? Are all those who are, who are dying born again? That is the actual question we should be worried about as Christians. We are not the government. We are not health workers. If you're a Christian and you're a health worker, you're on a different platform altogether. You see, the question we should be asking ourselves as the church, as the body of Christ, is whether all these people are born again. What can we do in this time to get many people to the Lord? So that even if they should die, they will have hope somewhere. Knowing that on that day, they will come back. They will have resurrection unto life. Not resurrection unto death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Reason number three. Reason number three. Why we should expect, we need to expect the coming of the Lord. You see, as a groom, if you are not desired, you don't want to marry. If your wife, if your, your wife is not desiring your coming, if you say, oh, I'm coming, this man says, oh, don't come. She says, don't come. Don't come. I'm not ready for you. Will you want to come? No. I mean, it's like you are not desired. All your feelings will disappear. It's as though he has found somebody else where she has found somebody else wherever she is. There's no desire for you. So the Lord wants to be desired. Do you see? The Lord wants to be desired. Then he will come. Hallelujah. Because we are the Lord's wife. Okay? The church is the Lord's wife. And he wants to be desired. Hallelujah. So number three, because the Lord's coming is the only hope of the church. The Lord's coming is the only hope of the church. Okay, that is the first aspect of his coming. The first aspect of his coming is the only hope of the church. Is the only hope of the church. Hallelujah. Amen. Brothers and sisters, did you know that we are pilgrims on, the, on this earth? Do you know we are, you are a pilgrim? Do you know we are a pilgrim? We are ambassadors on earth. How many ambassadors live in the country that they have been sent to all their lives and died there and are buried there? No. Nobody does that. You go, you go and you serve for some time and you go back to, back to where you came from. So we are all ambassadors here on earth. If you read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse uh, 17 down, you, from, you see it. If any man be in Christ, a new creature, all things are passed, behold, all things have become new. And all these new things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself, and has, by Jesus Christ, and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. And to wait that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing the trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we have the word of reconciliation. Then verse 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. As soon as you become a preacher, as soon as you become someone who is interested in sending the gospel around, you become an ambassador. But that sending is for every Christian, every child. As soon as you are born again, you are given the ministry of reconciliation. And you are given the word of reconciliation. You are made an ambassador. You must just awaken to that particular function and that particular responsibility as a child of God. So we are all ambassadors. We've all been sent here. We've not, we are not here to stay. We are pilgrims. And because you are pilgrims, nobody goes to the land where he has been sent to, to go and work and desires to stay there for the rest of their lives. No, 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 no. You don't. Because your country is always better. There's no place like home. Have you heard that statement before? Yeah. There's no place like what? Oh. Like home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> we are programs in this earth. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. It says that for our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
our citizenship is in heaven. The, 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 the Amplified says it, but we are citizens of the state, commonwealth, homeland, which is in heaven. And from it also, from heaven also, we earnestly and patiently await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Messiah, a savior, savior of what? Savior of our bodies. Next verse, look at the next verse. Who will transform and fashion anew the body of our humiliation to conform to and be like the body of his glory and majesty by exerting that power which he enables him, which enables him even to subject everything to himself. This is the, it's called the hope of the church. The hope of the church is the expectation of the church of the coming of the Lord to change our body, our vile body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul said in, 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 in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 1. This is the hope of the church. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, he's talking about our body, were dissolved, if it were gone, we have a building of God. And house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Next verse. For in this we groan earnestly. We groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Wow. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. Verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Next verse 5. Now he that has wrought us for the self same thing is God, who also has given us the earnest of the Spirit. He's giving us the Holy Spirit as an earnest, as a down payment of what? Of our full salvation. You see, salvation is, is not complete yet. The salvation of the Spirit is complete, it's taking place. Okay? But the salvation of the, the, the soul is taking place, it's in, it's in progress right now. And there's a hope of the salvation of our body. By faith, we are born again. Isn't it? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says that, For by, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. How, which part of, your, of you is saved? Remember, you are a spirit being, you have a soul, and you live in a body. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, talks about this particular thing. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you are a spirit being, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2, it says that, I beseech you therefore, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the message of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Meaning that you are not a body. Who is he talking to? He's talking to your spirit. He says that, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the message of God, that you present you. Which you is that? Your spirit. The real you. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your body. Your body is not you. Your body is just a container, a vessel in which you live. Okay? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed by the renewing of your mind. Meaning that you are not a mind. It says, and Be not conformed to this world, but be ye. Who is the ye there? Your spirit. Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that it may prove what is the good, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we are spirit beings. And at the new birth, it's a spirit man that is recreated. In John chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus said that that which is born of the Spirit, capital S, is spirit. 
small s. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit gives birth to our spirit. It is our spirit man that is given birth to by the Holy Ghost. Do you see? The Holy Spirit gives birth to spirit. His spirit. And if he's giving birth, he must give birth to spirit. If you believe that, it says that, for by one spirit, are we all giving birth to? Are we all baptized into one spirit, into one body? The Holy Spirit is the one who gives birth to the new creature. And he gives birth to the spirit, not to flesh, not to souls. Hallelujah. So, in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, we are changed completely. Our spirit man is born again at once. That is what happens in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace are you saved, through faith. So by faith, we, we become born again. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Which part of him? His spirit. The old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Your spirit man is new. It's, it's fully new. It's complete. There's no problem with him. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, look at Colossians 2, 9. Oh, do you like that, what I'm sharing with you? Yeah. It says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Then it says, and we are complete. Ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We are complete in him. There's, no, there's nothing bad in your spirit. That needs to be taken out. Do you see? And there's nothing good outside that needs to be put into your spirit. Your spirit man is full. He's complete. He's perfect. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. He says that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. So we are one spirit with him. How? By the spirit. By the regening of the Holy Spirit. By the new birth. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Glory. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, by Jesus' own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He's talking about spirits. Our spirit is eternally redeemed. There's no problem with our spirit. There's no room for improvement. Your spirit has been redeemed completely, bought completely. You see. But then, there's the saving of the soul. So, you, are, you can be a Christian, born again Christian, perfect like I'm telling you now. Okay, and because your soul, your mind has not been changed, your life will not be different from that of someone who is not born again. You will live like a, someone who is in the, who is in the world, all because your mind has not been changed. Your mind has not been saved. So apart from the salvation of the spirit by faith, our spirit is saved. I just showed it to you, right? Ephesians two eight. By faith, our spirit is saved. By love, our souls are saved. Okay, so in, in James chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says in James 1, 21, oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. It says, receive with meekness. This is wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So our souls are not born again. Our souls are being saved right now. That is why we hear the word of God. The more you hear the word of God, the more the CD of foolishness on your mind is changed with the CD of righteousness the city of holiness that comes through the word of god do you see in ephesians chapter 4 for instance oh hallelujah ephesians 4 24 he says and that you put on the new man which after god is created in righteousness and true holiness let's read from verse 22 it will make sense from verse 22 Ephesians 4 22 says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How are you renewing the spirit of your mind? 
through the word of God, through the word of God, there's one in Colossians that says that be renewed through the knowledge of God. Do you see? Then it says, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Hallelujah. So the more of the word of God you receive, the more you are transfigured, the more you are changed. Let me show you the one in Colossians. It's nice. I think you, should, you need to see it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Let's read from verse 9 so that we can understand even some more. Lie not one to another. Lie not to one. So someone can be born again and can be a liar. Lying to everybody, including his pastors. And including God. He can lie to God. Yeah. Just lie not one to another. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Just see that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Which old man? That is your spirit. The old spirit that was absent. You see, when Adam sinned there, God told him that in the day you partake of this tree, you shall surely die. The Hebrew, the Hebrew is to, it says, in dying, you shall die. You shall die the death. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, someone can be walking around. A non-believer is one whose spirit is dead. His spirit is dead, but he's walking around. When Adam sinned, he did, God told me in that, in that day that you sinned, in that same day you shall die. But he did not die immediately, physically speaking. Because there are different kinds of death. There's spiritual death, first of all. Then there's physical death. Then there's eternal death. Now, depending on your understanding of death, you may not agree that a non-believer is dead spiritually. Because, you see, death is absence of life. Death is separation. Death is not annihil- annihilation. It's separation, being taken away from life. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. For instance, someone who is dumb and cannot talk, has a mouth. Does he have a, have a mouth? Yeah. The mouth is existing, right? Yeah. Does he have a tongue? Yeah. He has a tongue. He has all the things that are supposed, are supposed to be there for him to be able to talk, but he's unable to talk. Why? Because he's been denied. His vocal cords may not be working as supposed to. So he has all the instruments to talk, but he cannot talk. So someone who is not born again and is moving around, is moving around. He has a spirit, but that spirit does not have the essence of life inside him. It is there, but it cannot be used. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Uh-huh. So it's the same thing. So as soon as you become born again, that spirit man is recreated. The seed of God is implanted into that spirit, and it changes him. He becomes a new creature altogether. After that has taken place, that is complete. It's, it's, everything is okay with him. But the soul, the soul, the mind needs to be changed. It needs to be renewed. That's why I'm showing you the scriptures. Lie not one to another. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. For instance, if you buy a new CD player, okay, and you have an old CD, Amachi Dede, or Lumba, Daddy Lumba, over there, which you bought in 1997. And you put it inside that new CD player. Would it play that song for you? Yeah. Would it play the Lumber song for you? The new CD player will play the old CD. It will play. It's, everything will be fine, isn't it? Yeah. The fact that you have a new CD player does not mean that you have new CDs. When you get the new CD player, you must also get new CDs for everything to be new. For everything to be complete. If you put the old CD inside, it will play the old songs for you. So you're a new man, but you are thinking the old way. Are that them special? You are thinking the old way. That's what you are going to get. That's the result you are going to get. So if you are thinking foolishly before you got born again, you must make an effort to change your thought, to change your mind. How? 
through the word of God. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, I am being not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Your transformation as a Christian, your doing well as a Christian is dependent on your mind. It's dependent on your mind. So 3 John 2 says that, I wish above all things that ye prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. If your soul does not prosper, your health will not work. Your natural prosperity will not work. Your children will not work. Everything about your life will not, be, will not work. So no matter how long you've been born again, if your soul has not changed in 20 years, forget it. You will not go where you're supposed to go. All because your soul has not been saved. Or it's not being saved as you're supposed to. How do you do it? Get the word. You need to meditate on the word. You need to change the way you think. Check your thought pattern if it has changed for the last four years. Then you'll know whether you're growing or not. Check your love for God's children. Then you'll know whether you have changed or not. The litmus test to your growth in the Lord is your love for the saints. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can show you. Uh, let me show you. First, first uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 9. There's one in Hebrews 10, 38, 39. I mean, all these places. It says... Whom having not seen, let's read from verse 7. So verse 7 makes more sense. It says, to the That the trial of the faith be much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I'll talk about this very soon. Next verse. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. Even the salvation of your souls. The end of your... What is your faith? Your, by faith, you go born again, right? So the end of... The reason why your spirit man is recreated is so that your soul will be saved. You start off with that. Then you continue by allowing your soul to be saved. Do you see? Now jump. Go, same book, same chapter. But now jump all the way to verse 22. You see, seeing you have purified your souls. You have what? Purified your souls in obeying the truth. Through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So the test that your soul is purified and your soul is being saved is your love for the saints. First John chapter 4, verse 19. Look at first John 4 19. We love him because he first loved us. Verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hated his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? The test that your soul is being changed is your love for the brethren. Your love for the Lord and your love for the brethren. How do you see your brother and how do you see your sister? After the lockdown, talk about some of these things. Yeah. How do you see your brother? Are you growing in the Lord? Christosum, are you growing in the Lord? No matter what spiritual... What, how many verses you can quote? If we check your love for the people of God and the love, you, even your love for the people outside the church shows whether you're growing or not. If you are, the more you grow in the Lord, the more you will know that God loves those who are outside the church and He wants all of them to come in. Your, your disposition towards them will be different to change. So, by faith, we are born again, by love, we are transformed, our souls are saved. Then, by hope, our bodies are also saved. So in Revelation, in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, look at Romans 8, 23. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. And not only they, but ourselves also, 
which have the flesh of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our body. Have you seen it? He says we are waiting for we are waiting for the adoption. That is the redemption of our body. Next verse. Verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man said, why does he yet hope for? For we are saved by what? Hope. By hope. Have you seen it? We are saved by hope. We are saved by hope. I thought we were saved by faith. So which, which one is he talking about here? He's talking about, what kind of salvation is here? He's talking about the body. So he says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what man seeth, why does he yet hope for? Have you seen it? Uh-huh. Next verse. He was talking about the redemption of our body. But if we hope for that, we see not. Then do we patient with patient wait for it. So there's a, there's a, there's a waiting that we are, we are undergoing. Waiting for the redemption of our bodies. So Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. That says that, but our citizenship is in heaven. From whence, let's look at it. For our conversations in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior. Savior. Who is the Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says, who shall, next verse. When he comes, this savior, now he has already saved our spirits, right? Yeah. So which, how are we looking, which type of salvation is this? Who shall change? His coming shall change our vile body, our death-doomed body. This body is not correct. Can't you see that this body is not correct? It's called the body of what? Of doom, of humiliation. It can humiliate you. Your flesh, your body can humiliate you. You have all kinds of feelings going through your body. You can listen to the word and then you'll be sleeping. Oh! You can be under the power of God and you are sleeping. Can you imagine? Paul was preaching powerfully. Someone was sleeping. His body could not stand. He, could, he just could not stand. He was sleeping. But the resurrected body is not like that. There's a hope that one day this body will change. And that body will change when Christ comes. It is called the hope of the church. That is the hope of the, I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. So I don't know why you don't want to expect his coming. Because it's come, what is coming means is that your body, this death doom, this body of humiliation, which puts you into all kinds of troubles, will be transfigured. It will be changed. And you will have a new body, which is a body of glory. A body that does not get tired. You will be like Superman. How many of you want to fly like Superman? Even way, more be, way beyond that, when Jesus rose from the dead, walls could not prevent him from entering. The closed doors and the closed windows were meant nothing. The Bible says that we were together and they had shut everything. And then he, he showed up amongst them. Jesus could transform himself to be an old man. And he could transform himself to be a younger man. He could change himself to become another person. He could change different faces. Why? Because he had a resurrected body. There's a resurrected body, there's a resurrected body that we are waiting for. It is the hope of the church. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's read Romans chapter 3. Let's read from verse, from verse 18. It's nice. I think you should, you should, you should, we should read this. Oh, hallelujah. There are so many scriptures I've not quoted to you yet. Yeah. He says, there's no fear of God. No, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, not 3. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Revealed in us. He's talking about the resurrected body. Next verse. For the earnest of the expectation of, of the creator, the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God, the showing of the sons of God, that is you and I. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. 
because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Hallelujah. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travelleth in pain together until now. Verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wait. The word to wait means that is the redemption of our body. The changing of our body. This vow body. Our spirits are redeemed, but our bodies are going to be redeemed on that day. He says, says, power shall change our body on that day. It's called the hope of the church. I showed it to you, right? It's the hope of the church. The hope of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've been reading it to you. 1 Corinthians 15. We read read a portion of it. But I think we should read more. Let's read from verse 15 to verse 20. Yea, and we have found false witness of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. Brother, the dead rises. Next verse. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are falling asleep, or which are dead in Christ, are perished. If, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. If only, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men most miserable. If it is only in this world that we can believe in Christ and have some changes happening to our lives, then, and that is all, then it is not worth it. He says it is not worth it. There's something more. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruit of them that slept. He has become the first fruit of them that were dead. So we know that one day, Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> First John chapter 3 verse 1. He says, Behold, what man of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. Why? Because it knew him not. Then he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons. We are, we are the sons of God now. Then he says, And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. Say, I shall be like him. I shall be like him. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Is, go to Colossians 3. So many scriptures. Colossians 3 1. Attesting to this particular hope of the church. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sat on the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, it's called the phanerosis of Christ, the appearance of Christ. When he shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Brother, one day he shall appear, and we shall also appear with him. We shall change. Says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In that moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trump, we shall be changed. This corruptible will put on incorruptible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that is the hope of the church. So when you hear that Jesus is coming, he says, look, lift up your eyes, church. When you hear he's coming, he says, lift up your eyes, church, for your redemption draweth nigh. That's what the Bible says. When you hear he's coming, lift up your eyes. Don't become sad and don't become fearful. He says, lift up your eyes with excitement. Why? Because your redemption. Which redemption? The redemption of your body. The completion of our redemption draws nigh. It's now here. If you hear that something is happening, coronavirus is one, he's coming. 
our redemption draweth nigh. Maranatha. Maranatha. That is Luke chapter 21 verse 28. It says, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. He was talking about all the problems that will come in the world. He says, look up. Look up. Luke 21, 28. Lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. The redemption of our bodies. It is the hope of the church. Hallelujah. 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 See, I'm going up. I'm getting better and better. The Bible says that Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of which glory is that? The, the hope of that glory that we will have with him. It starts from here on earth. The glory and joy, the prosperity is just a, it's just a small aspect. You're being a billionaire on earth is nothing compared to the glory that we shall have. That's why I read Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to you. It is for this present life. Maybe you are going through some things that are not so kind to you. Maybe your money is not even your money is not coming. You are sick or something makes no difference. There's a hope that is higher than your suffering today. This is what the church of old anchored their, their souls on. This is what they trusted in and believed in. They believed in the fact that one day we shall have a glorious body. And they didn't care about what was happening to them in this life. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It is not worthy to be compared. So if you read in Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, look at Hebrews eleven thirty-two. 32. You see so many things. My time is up. It says, and what shall I more say? He was talking about the heroes of faith. It's called the, it's called the uh, faith, faith hall of fame. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. They did, some of them did great things. Then it says, women received their dead race to life again. So there was one aspect. People were doing, some of them were doing great things. Then another aspect says that, and others were tortured. Yet those who were tortured did not accept deliverance. Why? So that they might obtain a better resurrection. They were tortured, but they did not mind. Why? So that they might have a better resurrection. Look at this. Go up. Go to we are Hebrews chapter 11, right? Go up to uh, verse 16. Go to verse 16. Oh, but now they desire a better country. It says these people desire a better country. That is an heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has, he has prepared for them a city. I said we are pilgrims here on earth. There's a city for us. Hallelujah. Next verse. Let's read from verse 30. It says, these all died in faith. Not having received the promises. They all died in faith. They were, they were hoping for something to come. Their present circumstances did not change. But it made no difference. It says, they all died in faith. Not not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. They were persuaded of the promises that God had made and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Brother, we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We are going somewhere. Tell me about going somewhere. And that somewhere comes the day he appears. For those of us who are alive, the day he appears, we are gone. If you die before he comes on your deathbed, you are going to a better place. That is why Christians who die, who die, smile in their death. If you are a Christian, 
when you are dying, you smile. one of our pastors had an experience. He was ill for a long time and was put before, way before he got serious with God. He was put in a, in, a, in a ward and expected to die. You know, there are some wards that they say if you go in, you are supposed to die. Because people die so frequently in there. You know? He said in the night. He will sleep during the day and the night will be awake. And people will be dying in the night. And they will be shouting. He said he saw some, some people who weren't born again in there. And they were shouting. He's coming for me. Please don't let him come for me. I beg. They'll be shouting in terror. And after some five minutes, they will die. And there were other people who were excited in their death. As they were dying, they were saying, oh, you have come. Wow, you are looking so nice. I'm ready to go. Are you ready to take me? And they'll go. Smiling and laughing. Brother, we have to preach the gospel. Charlie, things are real though. Life is real. Don't wait on. If you are watching me and you're not born again, this is the day you need to give your life to Christ. You never know. This is the hour of your salvation. Don't say tomorrow. Get born again today before you get out of this place. Hallelujah. Says, and they confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14. Hebrews eleven fourteen. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they deserve a better country that is unheavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them. There's a city prepared for you and I. Tell anybody there's a city prepared for you and I. No matter where you are, there's a city prepared for you and I. Hallelujah. Look at First Peter 1 17. First Peter 1 17. Oh, I love the Bible. First Peter 1 17. We are pilgrims. It says, and if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, giant according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. The time of your, your sojourn. It's just, a, we are just sojourning here. Do you understand so, to sojourn? We are just here. It's transient. We are just passing through. The Amplifier says that, uh, and if you call upon him as your Father who judges each, each one impartially according to what he does, then you should conduct yourselves with true reverence throughout the time of your temporary residence on the earth, whether long or short. So it's not a matter of when you die. It's what you lived, what you did with your life. Remember, he says, behold, I come quickly. Isn't it? And I come bearing my words. My word is with me. Hallelujah. To give unto every man according to his work. We'll talk about these things as we go on. Hallelujah. Let me finish up. My time is up. This hope is called, uh, there, are three, there are three designations of our hope. It's called the blessed hope. If you read in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, this hope of our transformation, of our transfiguration, of our bodies, is called a blessed hope. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, unto, appeared to all men. Next verse. Teaching us that deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope. It's a hope that is blessed. The word blessed is happy. Have you heard of happy hope before? There are schools called happy hope. Yeah, yeah that's where they got it from. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope. Looking for that happy hope. Whatever you think about is coming. You become excited because it's a happy, it's not just a hope. 
is a happy, exciting, blessed hope. Hallelujah. It is also a living hope. Apart from it being a happy, exciting, blessed hope, it is a living hope. It's a hope that is alive. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 7. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. I'm closing. My time is up. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his, his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope or unto a living hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Next verse. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that faded not away, reserved in heaven for you. So as you are entering heaven, there's an inheritance reserved for you. Oh, you should be excited. Though. I will die in joy and I'll be raptured. I, I live in high expectation of the rapture of the Lord. <laughs> Maranatha. Maranatha. He comes. Hallelujah. Next verse is five. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Ready to be, which salvation is this? The salvation of our body. Have you seen it? Ready to be revealed in the last time. It says God keeps you by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. When you greatly rejoice. That's why it's called the blessed hope. You greatly rejoice in this particular hope. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. No matter what is happening to you, makes no difference. Makes no difference. Since that the child of your faith be much more precious than of gold. That perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. Allow the, I'm just reading scriptures to you. Allow the scriptures to speak to you. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It is also called the good hope. It's called blessed hope, living or lively hope. It is also called the good hope. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 to verse 17. Mm. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Good hope through grace. Through his grace, he has given us his hope. Next verse. Look at the next verse. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, word and every good work. Hallelujah. It's a good hope. It's good. The coming of the Lord is good for us. It is good for us. It's good for us. So no matter what you're going through, let your anchor, you see in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, it says that now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of them is what? Is love. By faith, we are saved. Our spirits are saved. By love, our souls are being saved. By hope, our bodies shall be saved. Hallelujah. So no matter what you are going through, always have that hope. So in Hebrews chapter 6, I'm, 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 this is my last verse. If I could have a verse, come and see me. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16. This for men verily swear by the greater, and a note for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Verse 17. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, that is you and I, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope is that? The hope of the redemption of our bodies. Next verse. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul? This, 
You see, an anchor is found in ships, isn't it? Yeah. If, an, if a ship docks, then the anchor is put into the sea so that the ship is not taken away by the boisterous waves of the sea. So even though the ship will be at dock, if it is not anchored, before you realize it will go back into the sea and then to go away into America or something. It says that your soul, the transformation of your soul, must be anchored. Your soul, your mind must be on this particular hope. So that no matter the waves of this world, Jesus said in this world, you shall have many troubles. No matter the trouble you are in, you always have that hope that one day I shall be transformed. All these things are going to end. It's not the end of my life. Why? Because Christ says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, no matter what is happening, have that hope. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Know that there's glory around you. There's glory everywhere, here on earth. No matter what's happening, if it's happening today, doesn't mean that tomorrow to be the same. Makes no difference what's happening today. I have hope in Christ. I have hope that this thing will change. And I have hope that on that day, this my body will be transformed. I have a glorious, blessed, living hope. Hallelujah. Since both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Next verse, 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 19, verse 20. Without the forerunner, Oh, hallelujah. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We are blessed. I will never go down in my life. I have hope in life. It's too late to go down. It's too late to be left behind. It's too late, too late to be put through the tribulation. It says that he has saved us from wrath. On Wednesday, I'll share some more with you. Hallelujah. Begin to speak in tongues wherever you are. Thank God for what he has shared with you. For these glorious words. Give him glory and give him praise. Give him glory. 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 I'll never be afraid of his coming. I'll never be afraid of his coming. Because it is good for me. It is the hope that I have in Christ. It is good for me. It's a demonstration of my love for him. I know that on that day, as he appears, I will appear with him. Says, and everyone that has this hope in him, purified himself. Everyone that has this knowledge in him purified himself, even as he is pure. We are going somewhere. We are going to be with him in glory. This body shall be transformed. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your children. Thank you for your blessed, your blessed word that has come to us. Thank you that these words are working in us permanently and causing us to live in expectation of your son, the coming of your son. We will forever live saying continuously, Maranatha, come Lord. We will join the spirit and we shall say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come quickly. Because we know that it is good for us. It is blessed for us. Thank you so much, Lord. Even in Jesus' mighty name. Give the Lord a shout. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. 
Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's Word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastor T Podcast. Simply search for Pastor T on any podcast app, plug in, and enjoy God's Word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.